The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. When I was a kid, I used to love building forts. And so I would take, uh, inside I'd take, you know, sheets and blankets and pillows And I'd go into a room and I'd stretch them across like from a couch to a chair and, uh, you know, kind of like build up the sheets and kind of create like a little fort underneath that. Do we have any other fort builders in the house? Let me just see, show of hands, any other people? A lot of us, the rest of you, poor deprived childhood you had. I'm sorry, we'll pray for you, I guess, but... um, but I used to build forts, and when I, was, when I was first starting out in my fort building, it was pretty rudimentary. You know, it was just like throwing a sheet over like a table and crawling underneath. But it, it got more complex over time, you know, stretching it across from like a table over to a couch. And there was, you know, I'd get like a chip clip and like clip it on or get like a safety pin or something like that. And then like if I, the more square footage I could cover, the better, okay? And my, my fort building got more and more advanced. And now as a dad... Okay, now and I have little kids myself, my fort building's at a whole nother level. Okay, I mean, it is, I mean, if I can get multiple rooms, I mean, two and three stories, I mean, this, it's, it's getting intense. It's probably dangerous, actually, what's happening in my house. Um, but anyway, like, and, and I, I, I love building a fort. The challenge is the amount of time I'm putting in on the construction phase um, is disproportionate to the amount of time my kids have attention span to actually play in the fort. So we're still working on that. Um, but as I'm like designing the, the fort, there's been a, a couple times where the kids are excited. They want to play in it. I'm like, okay, wait, guys, you got to wait. You know, this whole thing's going to fall over. Just wait a second. And there's been a few times that, you know, Rebecca, my wife's walked in and kind of seen me trying not to get frustrated. And she said, look, just remember who you're building the fort for. It's for me. Like, I thought that was abundantly clear. Okay, this is my fort. I may or may not invite the children into it with me. Okay, and so, but the interesting thing about building a fort is it's funny that we call it a fort, okay? Because a fort is like something sturdy that provides protection, okay? And what I'm constructing in my house with pillows and blankets is about the most fragile structure humankind has ever seen, okay? Like a true fort like the one in like St. Augustine, that can withstand cannonballs. My fort can't withstand a soft pillow, okay? It's, it's not very sturdy, and it's probably uh, misnamed as a fort. When I think fort, I'm thinking something that protects. I'm thinking those who enter into that fortress are protected. And we as, as parents, uh, maybe you're a grandparent or maybe you're a future parent, but parents know the instinct to protect. We know that instinct well. In fact, some of you, uh, if you sent your kids off to school this week, you're reminded of that protective nature, that worry that you have as a parent, whether you're sending your kids off to kindergarten or you're waving to your kids as they're driving off to college, whatever it is, we are wired with that protective nature inside. We want our children and our families to be protected. This series we're going to be walking through this week and the next two weeks We're walking through a series that is aimed to give us practical steps 
on how to protect our children. We are just entering into the craziness that is the fall, into a new season. There's all kinds of things coming at us. And this series, this week and then the next two weeks, are designed for us to just stop and use this time to think through, okay, what are our priorities this fall as families? What are we going to do to make sure we're making the best decisions and protecting our our children and our families? We're going to be using several different things. First of all, of course, we are going to be looking into the Bible, which we believe is God's word. In other words, this is God's truth that he transmitted through human writers, and he is preserved because he wants us to know Um, about him and how we should live. We believe this is from God. And so each week we're going to study what this says about how to protect our families, how, what our goals can be and should be for this fall. We're going to look at the scripture. That's going to give us kind of that big picture, the principles. We're also through this series going to be looking at fresh, modern statistics about Um, families, about um, uh, kids and students, about younger generations, so we know what we're dealing with as parents and as people who are dealing with children. So we want to know those fresh statistics. And also, the third thing along the way, we're going to pull from some of uh, those in our midst here in the church who have given their lives. They have some expertise in dealing with kids and, and teens. And the reason is we want to be as a church. We want our families, the families connected to our church, to be as fortified and equipped as possible through this series. So today in part one, um, we're going to look at one simple passage in the Bible. Open with me to Proverbs chapter 14, Proverbs chapter 14. We're really going to look at one verse here, Proverbs 14, verse 26. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open there, Proverbs 14, 26. And before we even read it, here's what I want you to know. This verse was written 3,000 years ago. So that should do one of two things. If you believe Um, what we said before that this is God's word, then those of us who believe this is from God are on the edge of our seats because God is about to speak into something we really care about. How can we protect our families? And this is from the creator. If you're maybe here, and I love that you're here, if this is your perspective, if you're here and you say, look, I'm not sure that I believe that the Bible is what you said it is. I'm just not sure yet. Um, then at very least, I would uh, think that you'd be at least curious, what does it say in here that is so powerful that it's withstood the test of time for 3,000 years? Listen to what Proverbs 14:26 says. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence And his children will have a refuge. Let me read that through one more time. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And his children will have a refuge. Let's unpack this a little bit at a time. The first thing it talks about is this idea of the fear of the Lord. Now what in the world does this mean, the fear of the Lord? In fact, this is a concept that this book in the Bible, Proverbs, talks about quite a bit. It talks about the fear of the Lord. So what does that mean? 
We, we are in, in this room or watching online or at the pilot campus, we are coming at this idea of God probably um, from a couple different perspectives, those of us who are, who are here today. Some would be here and you'd say, or you're watching online and you'd say, um, you know, when it comes to God, I, I'd probably say that I am an atheist. I don't really believe that there is such a thing as a God. And so if you're here or you're watching, first of all, let me just say, I, I just admire that you are engaging a church because that shows how open-minded you are, and I have tremendous respect for that. And glad that you're here if you're here. But just gently, I just want to give you something to think about. And I don't mean this to be overbearing or pushy. I just um, lovingly just want to give you something to think about if you're coming from that perspective as, as an atheist. Just be really, really sure because the stakes are high. If you're coming to that conclusion about being uh, an atheist because it's out of reaction to something that happened or something that someone said or another person in your life or a situation in your life, that, that's just not something you want to, that belief system that you want to come to as a reaction. You don't want that to be reactionary belief because we're talking about the one who made you if there is a, a being. And so I encourage you, please maybe consider, because of that, that being such a big gamble, maybe consider just cracking the door open just enough to just really deeply consider that idea of whether or not there is a God. Others of you might be here or joining us and you might say, look, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist, I just would say I'm an agnostic. I don't know what to believe or if there is something to believe. And my encouragement to you would be similar to the person who comes from an atheistic perspective, is what I'd say is if you're not sure, run hard after that answer and don't wait. Again, the stakes are high. Don't leave that a mystery. Don't leave that unsolved. Run after those answers because there are answers. And I'm so glad that you're joining us on this journey. We love joining with people who have real questions, not because we have all the answers, but because we have real questions too. And as we're walking in this faith journey with God, we love continuing that dialogue and deepening our faith in God. For the rest of us, we probably fall in a category where we say, I do believe in God. And that makes us what would be called a theist. We, that means someone who believes in God. And so those of us who believe in God, what I'd like to encourage us to do is actually just stop for a second and think about the implications of the fact that we believe there is an almighty being. Like there is a being who invented all of this, who made the whole universe. Can we just stop and think about the implications of that freshly today? And I want you to think of it like this. Imagine you took um, the whole universe and you emptied it of its power. Like you just kind of drained out like it's like the energy. Like I've got a battery here and I want you to imagine like a gigantic massive battery like the size of like a galaxy or something. And I want you to imagine that you drained all of the energy, all the force, all the power out of all of the different places of the universe, the whole universe, and you, and you just put it like really compact, very concentrated in one gigantic battery. So you took like every star in the universe, like the fury of these stars, and you just drained it of its power. You hooked it up to that battery and just drained it of its power. You took like the explosive power of a supernova and you drained all that power out and you put it and you captured it in a massive battery. 
you took like the suffocating, just overwhelming, in almost incomprehensible power of, that's at the center of a black hole. And you just harnessed all of that, took it out of there, and you put all of the power of the universe and you drained the universe into one battery. I mean, that is almost an unfathomable amount of energy and power that would be all bottled up, just concentrated in one place. Try to just stretch your mind to think about what that might be like. Now imagine that's not a fraction of the power of the one who invented the whole universe. Like just think freshly who we're talking about. The sheer power of a being that could invent a universe. Just try and grasp the awesome power that that being has. So what are the implications of that? That is a being that we should want to know where we stand with that being because of his, I mean, just say that power is intimidating would be just a, a terrible understatement. Uh, I mean, like there's, the power that that being is, we should want to know where we stand with that being because you absolutely do not want a being of that unimaginable power to be your enemy. But on the other hand, imagine having that being as your friend. We, we really probably want to know where we stand with a being like that. Now, you might be saying, okay, preacher, I know where you're going with this. I, I, I see where this is going. We want God to be our, our friend, not our enemy. And so do, do good things, he becomes our friend. Avoid, uh, avoid the bad things or we become his enemy. And so we're probably about to hear a whole list of all the good things we got to do to make sure that God is our friend and, and not our enemy. And all the bad things we got to avoid. You know, we're probably going to get this whole list of, of how to do good and get God as our friend and not our enemy. No, absolutely not. That's not what you're going to hear. What I want to share with you is what the Bible says, what the Bible claims is where we stand with God. In the book of Romans, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 23, you can just write that scripture down and look at it another time. This is what it says. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. In other words, every single one of us have sinned and already fallen short. And then it goes on in, in a few chapters later, 623, it says, the wages of that sin is death. So let me just put this as plainly as possible. And I'm not doing this to be like scary. I'm saying this so that uh, to just kind of faithfully transmit what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Every single one of us, every human, based on the good and the bad that we've done in our life, every single one of us has fallen short. And one day we'll stand before God. And as we stand now, we stand every one of us as his enemy. We are enemies with that awesome, powerful being. And what that means is for every one of us, we justly deserve, according to the Bible, the full wrath of that God. We deserve all the punishment. And we are, every human is facing an eternity away from God in hell. That's what we're, we're facing and what we deserve. So what's the good news? 
Is there good news? Of course, there's definitely good news. The New Testament is, talks about the good news all the time. In fact, the word gospel just means good news. What's the good news? Well, this is how it's put in Romans 5, um, verse 10. Listen to what it says. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Here's the whole point of what the Bible's trying to say. We stand as enemies with God, but God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to the earth. He alone lived a perfectly sinless life, died on the cross, and he took all of the punishment and wrath for sin on himself. He didn't just, he didn't just face a physical crucifixion. He took all of the punishment, absorbed all of the wrath and anger and enmity from God on himself and died. And then on the third day, rose again from the dead saying, it's finished. It's completely paid for. All sin is paid for. And so we are offered as a free gift salvation. The other half of that that verse, Romans 6.23, says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It's being offered for free. All of God's anger and wrath paid for on the cross. And total freedom of salvation is offered for free. We just have to take it. It's like this. I have a friend who told me the story. The first time she told me the story, I, I, I couldn't even believe it was true. She said that uh, she uh, owns a condo, and in back in the recession, a little over 10 years ago, she got into financial trouble, and her condo was going into foreclosure. And so she was really struggling financially. She couldn't make payments. And so the bank tells her it's in foreclosure. And then if you, can, if you lived down here 10 plus years ago, you know the craziness of that season. And all of a sudden, her mortgage was passed from one bank to the next. And this bank bought it out. Then this bank bought it out and gets passed and passed and passed and passed. And uh, finally, it gets to a bank. And it was just dragging out for like five years. She's like, I just got to get out from under this financial disaster. And she had contacted some attorneys. And some attorneys were working for her. And one day, she gets a call from uh, her attorney. And, and the attorney says, um, hey, I just want to let you know it's over. She says, it's over? Like, what do you mean? It's, I finally uh, lost the condo. And uh, he says, no, 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 you don't understand. He says, your condo was passed from bank to bank to bank to bank so much that the bank who has it now lost the note. Doesn't have the note. And so, which I, I've since learned from uh, one of our, our staff here, Michael. Some of you may know Michael. He's an attorney. I asked him about this. He said that this is not as uncommon as... Uh, we might think. He, she said, what does it mean? He says, um, they, they have to give you the condo. And she said, okay, but I mean, like, what's the mortgage payment going to be? Because, like, I'm really strapped. And he's like, you don't understand. You own it clear, free and clear. There's no mortgage payment. Okay, like, basically, it's like she's going to sit down and walk in to the bank, and they're going to be like, yeah, we uh, lost the, the note. Um, here you go. Just take it. Okay, can you just think about that with me for a second? You imagine you go home this afternoon and you get that phone call? You're going out to dinner tonight, I think. I mean, that's, an, um, that's a good day where they offer you like, it's, hey, no mortgage payment. Your home for the next 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, you own free and clear. Like, that's a really, really good day. And that might be like some of the best news like she ever heard, maybe. 
probably top five at least. But can you just grasp this with me for a second? If what the Bible is saying is true, then the news that it's telling you today dwarfs the news she heard on the phone. It's saying that your home where you will spend not 40 years, but 40 trillion eras, eternity, it's that heaven is given to you free and clear. It's not just a home that you live in for a few decades. It is all of eternity. All the debt of your sin that you've been compiling all your life, your sin, past, present, and future, is once and for all paid for for eternity. That is the best news in the history of mankind. And it's being offered you today. All you have to do is just take it. You imagine if she sits there, she meets with the bank, and she says, I just don't believe it. I'm going to leave this paper here and I'm going to go make some more mortgage payments because I, I just, I don't believe it. All she has to, she did nothing to gain the situation. She just has to take the piece of paper and believe it. That's what's being offered to you today with the gospel, the good news. It's what Jesus did saves you for eternity. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is when we understand who we're dealing with. And on one hand, we understand his unimaginable, unfathomable, unthinkable power, the reaches of which we cannot fit in our brains. And when we realize who we're engaging, we're engaging as a tremendous power. We say, okay, if you have that much power, that much wisdom, if you invented everything that is, if all of that was done by you, God, if you have that kind of um, unfathomable, infinite power, then for me to look at you, God, and say, thank you for the suggestion on how to run my life, but I'll run it my own way, is absolutely absurd. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. God, I hear your ideas, but I think they're a little old-fashioned and archaic, I'm going to do my own thing. Do you realize, like, who we're dealing with? That's ins- it would be insane to do that. Like, fear of the Lord is when we realize who he is and there's this awe, this reverence, this respect. We say, clearly, clearly, you who invented everything knows the better way for me to live my life. And you've preserved it for me to learn. So, like, clearly you know how to, how to live my life. I would be, it would be dumb for me not to just submit my entire life and how I run my life to your way. That would be crazy. Fear of the Lord is on one hand in, is understanding his power, but on the other hand, understanding his tremendous love. When we realize this is what you did for me, God, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross you paid for my sins. I was your enemy and you came and you, and you brought me back and now you call me your son or daughter? Like, if that's how much you love me, then that means you're for me. Of course I'm gonna surrender my life to you. See, the fear of the Lord is remembering who it is that we are dealing with and acknowledging the best play in light of the reality of God, the best play most logical, strategic play is full surrender. 
Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord, it's talking about this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Like, if I wish I had more wisdom in my life, well, start here. God is awesome, me not so much. God is infinite, almighty, omniscient, all-knowing. It's absurd that I don't say, how about you tell me how to run my life? Especially when he's got it prescribed for me here in his scripture. What this says is the fear of the Lord brings strong confidence. Boy, don't we want confidence like just in decision making, in planning, like we find our confidence in all types of things. Well, I'm pretty smart. I can kind of discern what the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. But how confident am I in myself? Don't I want the confidence of anchoring my decisions and anchoring my family and anchoring my, my goals and my plans? Don't I want the confidence of anchoring that in, in the almighty God and the way that he has, he has called me to live? The fear of the Lord brings confidence. But it says something else. Did you catch what it said there at the end? Fear of the Lord brings strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Our fear of the Lord is building a fortress for our children to be safe inside. Me choosing and my wife and us together choosing that our home will be anchored the way that God wants us to live, that is fortifying my home. That is fortifying my, 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 my descendants, my children and my grandchildren, my future descendants. Me, my fear of the Lord has an impact on my children and it brings safety and protection for my children. What are the stakes right now for our kids? What, what's... What's at risk? I want to read you a few statistics um, about where our kids are at. Um, first, we'll talk about millennials. Millennials are the uh, mid-20-somethings to late-30-somethings. And the Barna Group did some statistics on practicing Christian millennials. Here's what it says. Um, based on current statistics, almost half of practicing Christian millennials, it's 47%, agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Did you catch that? Just talking about practicing Christians, millennials, about half of them were either not sure or against the notion that they should share their faith with someone of another faith. You know, the basic mission Jesus left on us on earth to do. If that trend holds, can you think of the stakes for the next generations? Generations are like links in a chain. If this millennial generation doesn't know that they need to share their faith, what does that mean for the next generations? Gen Z, which is the next generation after them, that is those born between, um, it's different, but on, uh, based on the Barna Group, that's um, 1999 till about 2015. So that's our kids and our teens right now. 
Here was a stat on, on that age group. The percentage of teens who identify as atheist is double that of the general population, 13% versus 6% of all adults. Do, do you see what that means about the trend? That means if you are part of Gen Z, you are t about twice as likely to be, have the perspective of an atheist. That's the trend. One more statistic, this is from the Pine Tops organization. This is what they found. If current trends hold, over one million youth, at least nominally in the church today, will choose to leave each year for the next three decades. In other words, 35 million youth raised in families that call themselves Christians will say that they are not by 2050. That means one million Christians a year who are growing up in Christian homes, if current trends hold, one million will leave those Christians, will, will come out and say, I am not a Christian. One million a year between now and 2050 for 30 years. It's something like a 35 million people coming up that will leave the church if current trends hold. Now, I want to be very clear on this. Here's what I hope this is doing inside of you right now. Because the Bible says we do not have a spirit of fear. We have been given a spirit of power by the Holy Spirit is what it says. And so I hope what's building inside of you is not a fatalism, raising the white flag and saying that we have lost. And I hope what it is not just uh, something to go complain about how we are losing this next generation. But what I hope it does generate in you is this feeling that says, not on my watch. I hope what this is building in you is saying, not, this will not happen with the children that are in the kids' ministry where I serve each week. That this is not happening in the student ministry of my church where I am giving part of my week. It's not going to happen with our students here at our church. That this is not going to happen with the children that are in my household and my grandchildren and my future children. That we will stop and say, draw a line in the sand and say, we will not be the generation that allows this to happen. I hope that's building inside of your soul when you hear this. Now here you say, okay, well, well what do we do? Well, let me give you the other side of, of the coin here. Another research group, Lifeway Research, they took a group of young adults, this very volatile group, many of whom are walking away from the faith, and they took a group of young adults who were still active in their faith, and they asked them questions based on what were their habits when they were children to see if they could find any links to find out what are the greatest predictors that they would remain active in their faith into young adulthood and into adulthood. And they found a very strong correlation. Listen to this, this is interesting. The biggest factor predicting their spiritual health as young adults is whether they read the Bible regularly as kids. The number one practice that predicted spiritual health and the correlation was staggering. Can I ask you, what are your family goals this fall? Because after this week, we just got like all the homework assignments. 
all the soccer practices, like the time slot for the bassoon lessons, robotics club tournament, okay, or whatever. I mean, we just got the onslaught of what this fall is going to look like. And we've got all of these activities that are telling us and shaping how our families are going to spend their time. But can you hear these statistics? Can you hear the truth of God that talks about what will protect your children? Because swirling around in our society, in our culture, are lies that are trying to destroy the futures of our children. And can you say, no, I'm going to fortify my family. And can you align your goals this fall accordingly? Please, can you move to the top of your list, your spiritual goals? Can you actually write them out? Can you discern them? Can you say, we, okay, of all this stuff, we just got a week of all kinds of stuff we are going to have to do as a family. But before we plug any of that into the, into the calendar, I'm going to reverse engineer. I want my children walking with Jesus for the rest of their life. That's what I'm going, I want them walking with Jesus because I want their children and their children and their children walking with Jesus. So let's reverse engineer. What are my goals for this fall? And can they please be spiritual goals? Can we start there? First of all, you have a church that is going to bring you the scripture that we so desperately need. Is going to bring you the scripture every single week. The kids ministry is going to bring your children the scripture every single week. The student ministry, middle school and high school, is going to bring your students. They're going to be surrounded by other teenagers who are hungry for the word. Surrounded by young adults that are teaching them the word and modeling for them the word. So first fall goal for your family. What's your relationship with your church going to be this fall? Write it out. What's your plan? Because if your plan is just, well, if there's nothing going else going on on the weekend and we have the energy, we'll go to church, like that's pretty much never going to happen. That's a recipe for we'll see you at Christmas. Can you map it out? Can you move it to a priority? What is going to be, like reverse engineer it. What is your goal for your family? How about scripture reading? You you can hear the scripture taught. How about scripture reading? What's your plan? Can you set a goal for reading the scripture? You say, look, I've never done that. I don't know how to. This is a perfect time to start. Okay, I want to give you some resources and give your family some resources. So what I need everyone to do, I need you to pull out your phone because I'm going to give these to you quick. And um, I need you just to take pictures of these on the screen. I want to give you some resources. The first thing, if you have never um, been active in reading the Bible, by the way, that same um, group, Lifeway, found that the number one like core practice that had the most impact on an adult's spiritual health was also reading the Bible. Make that a priority this fall. She so said, I've never done that before. We have a reading plan that we will text you, and you can get a chapter every single morning. We're kicking that back off for the fall, and so if you are interested in being a part of that, then text WPCC, text WPCC to 97,000. Text to that number, 97,000, text the word WPCC. If you text that today, then tonight you will get a link 
It will give you a link to where you can see a reading plan and also a very short four-minute video that will show you a very simple way to read the Bible on your own. Some people have been using it through the spring and the summer since we launched it back in the spring and have said it has changed their life on how they read the Bible. It's a very simple four-minute video that will equip you for how to read the Bible on your own. Now, some of you will say, okay, but when I read the Bible, I don't understand what I'm reading then I want to show you a resource called the ESV Study Bible. It looks like this. There's a picture up on the screen. ESV Study Bible. Take a picture of that. I wish every single Christian had a copy of this accessible to them. Um, They also have digital formats of this. Um, You can order that online. Um, The ESV Study Bible. If you are an overachiever, we have a couple of those at the Resource Center in the front lobby. Okay, let's not have any fights break out, people. Okay, ESV Study Bible. Here's why this is so great. It's the translation we use here at your church, but it also has great explanations when you get to something that doesn't that you're like struggling with to make sense of. It is a great resource. The ESV Study Bible. Order one this afternoon. Start in it this week. If you have children, take a picture of this resource. It's the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is something that Rebecca and I use in our home with our kids. This is great for preschool through elementary. The Jesus Storybook Bible, it's engaging, beautifully written, captures the main truth of the scripture. Um, It is awesome resource, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Okay, I want to give you two more apps. If you do not have a Bible app, get yourself a Bible app. This one's free. It's the YouVersion Bible app. You can get it on any of the uh, app stores. It looks like this. It, has, it is full of different translations. It has reading plans. It has devotionals. It has some for your teens. Um, and it has plans that you can read with friends. In fact, you say, okay, I, I, have I missed the boat if I have a teenager? No, absolutely not. You have a teenager, you say, look, I don't want to force them to read the Bible. Like, I just don't think that's going to go well. Yeah, you're right. It's probably not going to go well. So here's what you can do. First thing is model it for them. Second thing, if I were you, you have a teenager, I would go to them and say, hey, or or a young adult, even if they're off at college, say, hey, I was really challenged by what I heard at church today. And I'm going to start this reading plan in this YouVersion Bible app. And I can do it with people. Would you? Do it with me. I'd love to do it with you. We can actually just share ideas. I just want to hear what you're thinking. Maybe you share it with your young adult or your your teen. Um, Here's the last app I want to show you. It's the Tyndale Bible app. Um, You can download this one online as well. I love this app because it has a dramatized audio version of the New Testament. So what uh, Rebecca and I do as we're driving the kids to school every morning, we get in the car and they're like, oh, can we listen to this song? Can we, can we listen to this one thing? And we say, yes, absolutely. But first we're going to listen to a chapter of the Bible. And, and, and before we turn on the music, at the end of this, I want to hear one thing that, that uh, stuck out to you from the chapter that we listened. And we just start listening through the gospel. And every morning we, we just listen to another chapter of the Bible, another chapter. And it's dramatized at a level that they can understand. Um, an awesome, awesome resource. Okay, you are equipped. Here's the challenge. What are going to be your family goals? Please, please, don't be too busy to stop and make family goals. Spiritual goals. What's your family goals regarding your your engagement with your church? What's your your family goals regarding reading the scripture? Adults, 
you are not too busy. If you watch Netflix, you're not too busy. If you go to the gym, you're not too busy. It's important to take care of your body because you have it for, you know, 80 some odd years maybe. But it's not as important as your soul. You have that for eternity. You're not too busy. What is going to be your plan, parents, grandparents, future parents, for your Bible reading? Set the coffee maker, get up 15, 20 minutes early, read through that next chapter, jot a couple notes in a journal from the soap, like from the, from the soap plan, just set a goal for this fall. What's going to be your family goal for getting the scripture to your children? It's a game changer. Stakes are too high. How can you get them a little bit of the scripture every single day? How can you do that? You read them one story at dinner? Out of the Jesus Storybook Bible, listen to one chapter on the way to school? Do a reading plan with your teen? What can you do? It's a game changer. Please set your family goals. But for some of you, your goal just very simply starts like this. This is offered you today. Not getting your earthly home free and clear. It's an eternal home. You know, with my friend, she did nothing whatsoever to have her whole debt taken away. And the debt just vanished. But you know, with the debt of your sin, it didn't just vanish. Someone paid it. Jesus paid your debt. He took all of that on the cross. That's how much God loves you. Surrender to him today. You can receive and activate this good news in your life today. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to just take this right into your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Maybe you're sitting at our pilot campus or watching online. It's offered you as a free gift. You just have to believe and take it. Is that you? Let me just lead you in a prayer with everyone's heads bowed. If that's you, you want to take that step and receive the free gift of salvation. Then right there in your seat, I want to lead you in a prayer. Make these words your words. Just silently repeat this to God. Say, God, thank you for saving me. I believe it's about what Jesus did not what I do. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins and that he rose again from the dead and I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.